Hello and welcome to Bob Dylan, American Shakespeare, brought to you in conjunction with Crystal Pier Records by me, Rich Evans. And me, Mark Walsh. This is the podcast where we usually talk about each of Bob Dylan's officially released albums, take a couple of weeks to talk about them, to think about them, and then get together to talk about them. But this time... Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, we are. it's a bit different today because we are in the very uh, luxurious confines of the and surroundings, indeed, of the Future Inn in Cardiff Bay, where we are about three and a half hours away from seeing Bob Dylan live in concert. So we thought we would just take this opportunity to have a bit of a discussion about live music in general. And uh, the idea is that we will kind of reflect on the show slightly later on. The last time that I went, I was thinking about this actually when I was driving here, and the last time I went to a gig with you, I believe, I might be wrong on this, was in Osaka a very long time ago, and we saw Joe Strummer and the Mescaleros. Well, what what was the last gig that you went to? Well, I think before I get into that, I should just uh, paint a little picture for the listeners. Um, We are seeing each other physically for the first time in about seven years, which is fantastic. And we are very much knee-to-knee, if not cheek-to-cheek, in the old (laughs) Lennon-McCartney style, aren't we? So I'm expecting something special from this. uh, Yes, you can can almost just hear the the dynamic coming across, I'm sure, I'm sure. (laughs) Exactly. So what was your last gig then, mate? Well, actually, I did go to see Nick Cave in Stoke, which is very close to where I live. About a year ago, and that was fantastic. It was a, a theatre called the Regent Theatre. So very much, I would imagine, like it would have been to see Bob Dylan at the Palladium a couple of nights ago. Yeah. Although we didn't manage to get into that, did we? And here we are in Cardiff as well. Well, this is it, yeah. It's the beggars can't be choosers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And how was that? Because, I mean, it's a long time since I've been to like a proper gig, to be honest. And so, you know, I've been away from the crease for a while, uh, to use a cricketing metaphor. What can I expect then? Well, I think this is going to be quite different, actually, because about a year ago, we were in one of those hiatuses in between the lockdowns, I think, or perhaps we'd just come out of the last lockdown. So it was still a case that you had to have your COVID pass, um, big long queues where you were being checked. Everyone had the face masks on inside. So I'm not expecting any of that tonight. I think we're back to the old times, really, aren't we? Yeah, I think it's it, it will be. I think it's going to be quite civilised in comparison. The last gig that I went to was C6 Steve, actually, which wasn't the most civilised gig. It was It's going back a while now. It was at the Shepherd's Bush Empire. And it was quite rowdy, and I'd drunk quite a lot of beer. Now, I'm not intending to, to do that. I want to kind of enjoy Bob Dylan in a kind of undistilled uh, sobriety kind of frame of mind. And also because I'm rubbish at drinking these days. But I do remember C6 Steve, it all got a bit kind of shovey, I suppose. Because you know the the floor in the Empire when you're mm. standing, and it was standing, which didn't help my case really, um, kind of down towards the stage. And so I'd come back from the bar and I was there with a mate of mine and I kind of spilt part of, I think I was carrying four pints, the beer over someone who really took umbrage at this and I thought they were going to swing for me and it was a beautiful moment because there I am I can't do anything because I'm holding four pints and I was looking thinking this he's going to chin me and um and then this enormous hand reached down and grabbed the guy by the neck and kind of lifted him up like Lenny's hand out of uh (laughs) of my cement or something and it was a kid that I I'd used to tip that I'd taught like years before who was not a 
very well-behaved student. And uh, he was there with about three or four of his mates. They were all enormous kind of car mechanics, very handy in terms of like physical <laughs> violence, I shouldn't wonder. And he kind of went, all right, sir. And that was uh, that. Was that. So uh, that my memory of that was that it could have all gone wrong, but it was saved uh, at the last minute. So there you go. It's uh, all of those detentions and things like that that I dished out kind of uh, came to fruition. That's I've I've uh, I've gone off down a, a rabbit warren there. So anyway, that was my last gig. Demographic. Then we talked a little bit about this before we pressed record. But are we going to be like young there? I mean, obviously, I I look in the mirror and think, why my what a fresh faced youth you are. But given that it's quite a while since we've seen each other face to face, I don't know. Have the years been kind. It's a difficult one to uh, to figure out. Are we going to be like the youngest there? Are we going to be the oldest there? How's it going to work? Do, what, what do you think? Yeah, well, obviously, we'll appear to be amongst the youngest in our <laughs> fresh-faced appearance, that's clear. Uh, but no, I, th- I think there will be a few people younger than us. I think it'll largely be people who are a good deal older than us. I think there'll be a lot of people in their 50s, 60s. But I think there'll be a good, I think there'll be a good range of people. I have been booking tickets for my daughter, actually, to go and see Harry Styles and Louis Tomlinson recently. I'm, I'm expecting the, the age demographic will be shifted slightly to the right compared to that audience <laughs> um but no I, i'd be surprised if we uh if we have a youngest yeah it's i mean it's interesting as well that this is a phoneless gig so we've had various correspondents um from the venue talking about these kind of i suppose pouches that we put mobile phones in so i think that's going to be quite an interesting thing i'm not quite sure how that will work i think it's a good idea probably but um, I think the newness of it makes it a little bit of an oddity, doesn't it, really? So, um, yeah, I think that it'll be interesting to see how that goes. I mean, we're not expecting too many surprises as regards the set list, are we? Well, no, and I think I think that's one of the things that I've been really looking forward to. Well, I suppose two things I've really been looking forward to about this gig. One, that he's going to be playing, we expect so much of the Rough and Rowdy Ways record which will be amazing. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know what it's going to sound like, what kind of arrangements it's going to have. I haven't been listening to any of the recordings from the previous European shows. I listened to a bit of the North American stuff from late last year, yeah. but um, I'm really going into this kind of blind. So I'm very curious to see how some of those, um, I don't know, those sort of folky, accordion-led sort of arrangements translate to the live show. But the other thing that I'm sort of really excited about is that he hasn't been to England for a very long, well, England or Wales, I should say. Um, He hasn't been here for a very long time. Um, And you do sort of wonder whether he will be coming back again. Okay. Obviously, this podcast is called Bob Dylan American Shakespeare. Shakespeare links are sort of few and far between when it comes to, to things like this. We're in kind of uncharted territory right now, but I suppose we've got something similar here to the the kind of peasant coming in off of the land to view a play and kind of have their mind blown, I suppose, in in, in central London. That's a hell of a kind of stretch, that, isn't it? But uh, <laughs> that's I'm, I'm basically, if you'll, you'll indulge me with this metaphor, comparing us to the peasants that are coming into market to sell our wares, we've done all right, and so we've decided to kind of swing by the, via the globe to take in a show or whatever. It's that idea of escapism, isn't it? It's that idea of magic. And I think any time that you go to see any kind of performance, be it musical, theatrical, whatever, 
you're hoping that it's going to kind of take you out of yourself and and, and give you an, an experience that would be different to that which you would have just had if you'd have been watching on TV or on screen or whatever. So that's kind of what I'm hopeful of. I think that was a door slamming rather than someone shooting. I'm not quite sure what hotel this is otherwise, but there we go. Stay away from the grassy knoll. That's a really interesting thought. Um, I suppose when we, we've come, we've obviously come to see Bob Dylan today and we were talking about the demographic earlier. I think there will be a lot of young people there and one of the things, one reasons why I think that is that coming to see Bob Dylan now, of course we're excited to hear him play Rough and Rowdy Ways, but I don't think anyone's coming to hear him play Rough and Rowdy Ways. People are coming to see Bob Dylan, aren't they? They're coming to see that experience. I, I was, can't remember where it was now. It might have been on a, on a comments page on one of the reviews of his recent shows at the Palladium. But someone said something like, I almost wasn't going to go. But I decided I just wanted to be able to breathe the same air as Bob Dylan one more time. And that's really what it's all about, isn't it? It is that that magic, that transcendence, that experience. And I think there'll be some fantastic tunes there as well, don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah, yeah, but, absolutely. But yeah, you're right. I think it's this thing about the experience, isn't it? It's this idea that that it's almost like a quasi sort of religious thing on, on paper anyway. We'll, we'll see We'll see how it translates. But yeah, the very fact that he's in Cardiff is, is quite amazing. I think that probably will about do us for now, won't it? So stay tuned in a virtual sense and we will, uh, we will have our kind of reflections on this in, a, in, in the next mini kind of podcast. Yeah, see you in about three or four hours. Okay, so by the magic of technology, we are back in the same hotel room that we podcasted from previously. Of course, with our seamless editing, you're not going to realise that, but it's almost like time lapse, effectively. It's dark outside now. We've just returned from seeing Bob in concert at the... What's it called, the venue? The Motor Point Arena. Motor Point Arena, which has subsequently changed its name, I think, to the like Cardiff Indoor Arena or... Or something like that anyway, lovely venue. So, Mark, hello again. What's, what are your thoughts, just to kick off very quickly? Hello again, Rich. Well, yeah, it was a really nice venue, wasn't it? I'd never been there before. Uh, in fact, I'd never been to Cardiff before today. Uh, it's a lovely town centre, I must say. But I, I was kind of expecting it to be very sports hally. But it, had, it did have a kind of theatrical feel, didn't it, inside? Even though it was quite a big venue. Well, I say big, I mean, it was a 5,000 capacity venue so bigger than the Palladium obviously but still not uh, like a cavernous arena I suppose. No I thought it was pretty good I mean having been to lots of different venues over the years particularly kind of sports arena kind of places tend to be quite cavernous as you say and they tend to be quite echoey with the sound now I thought that the sound tonight was top notch I thought it was really really good and everything was very very clear as with all Bob Dylan shows and in fact all shows where people kind of tend to be seated and people tend to have a kind of background history with the music it's quite nice talking to some of the people that were around us and one in particular um was a guy called archie i forget how old he said he was uh because of course we were talking about the demographic we'll talk more about that in a moment but we were talking a little bit about one of the themes that we've come back to several times which has been the way in which we discovered bob's uh records and the way that we, because of constraints of the library and money and things like that, we were forced to really focus in 
and zoom in on one record at a time. And of course, that's what we're trying to um, rediscover with this. But um, Archie was from a younger generation. I think he was like around 20. And he was uh, his sort of Bob Dylan gateway drug of choice was Highway 61. And he coined this uh, great term, which uh, he called choice paralysis. What did you think, mate? What did he mean by that? What was your interpretation? Well, it was this thing that you quite regularly bang on about, wasn't it, Rich, that you, uh, you raised with him, about the fact that nowadays, if, you, if you're discovering somebody like Bob Dylan, you've got immediate access to the entirety of his catalogue, including, of course, all the bootleg series, which is such a different experience from the way we discovered his records. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, so different from the way somebody would have discovered him in the 60s as the records were being released in real time. So we were quite curious, weren't we, about how he, he went about things. And he did say he had this feeling of choice paralysis when he was faced with so, so much stuff. And he actually did say that he sort of went onto uh, websites or uh, whatever to sort of just get some guidance as to what he should be listening to. And, yeah, he, he said that Highway 61 was his, his gateway into the whole thing. But interesting that he was still looking at it in terms of albums. Uh, we, I'm very conscious that we are taking this young man as being representative of an entire generation, which perhaps isn't fair. Well, we don't get out um, of the house much, do we? So uh, <laughs> it's hardly our fault. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't listening to Bob on a kind of universal shuffle, was he? He was still engaging with the records in, in a similar yeah. sort of way. Yeah, so yeah, very nice to talk to him. I mean, the, the staging I thought was very interesting. I actually thought it was quite basic i did think about making a kind of shakespeare link about the sort of almost austere staging but i think that would probably be going too far even for for me and i've got form when it comes to trying to crowbar in such references but i did think it was quite spare and i liked it i mean i liked the lighting as well because you had the just the kind of stage curtain at the back lit in a kind of Aperol spritz like glow kind of orangey colour at the start of most of these songs and then the lights went down and it didn't really vary a great deal. I mean, you had the band and Bob Dylan himself kind of dressed up in black. I mean, I know the band were kind of looking like uh, Wild West Undertakers, really. I thought it was a good look. It worked very, very well. And I thought, I mean, I almost wonder if it's almost a bit nostalgic, the staging and the the way that the lighting worked. It's the kind of thing, there's a photograph of him playing at Hibbing High School. And I believe because of the iron range and the mining companies, that Hibbing High School has actually got quite a nice auditorium with quite a big stage. And it looked a lot like that. You could almost imagine that. There was very little in terms of stuff on stage that couldn't have featured in Hibbing High School. You had the stand-up piano, of course, that Dylan himself was at. All of the guitars, the effects and everything like that, they weren't kind of crazily modern or anything like that. They were pretty old-fashioned, really, weren't they? And so it kind of, I don't know, I mean, maybe there was a kind of a sense of almost sort of backward-looking here. It was quite sparse, though. And I liked it, um, and I particularly liked the way that all of the all of the musicians were very much focused on Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan's there, centre stage on the stand-up piano, and all eyes were fixed on him. And he was very much kind of dictating traffic. It was uh, I thought that was really good. Yeah, just as you were talking about the lighting and the staging there, it just occurred to me actually what it did remind me of. It, it was a little bit David Lynchy, 
you know, sort of um, yeah. dreamlike 1950s nostalgia type stuff. Yes. Um, Felt like smoking should have been allowed, really, didn't it, with that? It, yes. it had that lighting, didn't it, it really? Did. Like a lounge kind of, yeah. And it was funny because we were quite a way, well, we weren't a really long way back, were we? But we were, we were far enough away that it felt, it felt like you were a distance from a stage, right? It wasn't like we were right up against yeah. the performers. Yeah. But nevertheless, despite that, that feeling still came across, as you say, that kind of, I don't know, um, yeah, lounge-like, dream-like. You, you still got the effect of that staging coming, yeah, coming I, across to us. I agree. I thought it felt fairly intimate for a mm, venue did, that yeah. size, actually, which yeah. was, you know, pretty surprising. I liked the, the drums as well. One thing I noticed was that there was very little use of cymbals. Um, I really liked the drumming, but it was quite kind of hypnotic there was a lot of work on toms that's right yeah there, there was, was a lot of work on the sort of floor toms as well and bits and pieces of kind of timpani kind of percussion almost gave it a little bit of a lone rangery kind of vibe again i don't know whether that has anything to do with kind of nostalgia or whether that's just my imagination but there was something that was very kind of hypnotic about it and at times it almost reminded me the arrangements of kind of a Dr. John like walk on gilded splinters, gree gree kind of that sort of hypnotic, not voodoo vibe, but there was something about it, uh, particularly on songs like Black Rider. I know I'm jumping the gun here talking about individual yeah. songs, but no, I thought I that think... was quite spooky and had that kind of sort of like on the bayou kind of feel, didn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, we'll talk about our highlights a bit later, but when you mentioned those hypnotic drums, it was the kind of driving force on uh, When You Go Your Way, wasn't it? Yeah. And also, much more subtly, on Key West as well, that kind of underpinning rumble of it. It was very effective. And one of the things we talked about in the, the prelude to this was how he was going to manage the arrangements of... Uh, those rough and rowdy way songs. Uh, the answer was by adding, what was it? Was it five virtuoso musicians? Uh, yeah, yeah. There was there was a lot of uh, instrument switching, wasn't there? And as you say, the the way that they sort of effortlessly switched, well, the way that they were effortlessly focused on him, and the way they were sort of effortlessly switched between that kind of lounge style and the harder bluesy style was was very impressive. And you you could tell, I think, that they have been playing this set for a, for a good few shows now. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think it's that old adage as well that really great players, it's not about how quickly they can play, it's about tone and it's about knowing when not to play really. And I think that they were absolutely operating in the service of the songs. There was no kind of flashiness really. There were moments when you thought, oh wow, that's a nice guitar part or Mm. that's a nice drum fill really. But it was really... It was absolutely in the service of the song and in the service of Bob Dylan. And I thought that it's sort of testament to their their virtuosity that they were good enough to know when not to play, really. And, and I think that less was very much more when it came to those arrangements. Yeah, and I suppose it was only an hour and a half long, wasn't it? Pretty much, yeah. the show. But within that, I think there was a lot of variety in terms of the the arrangements, and that again, that's a testament to the the skill of, and and the practice and the cohesion of the band, right, to pull that off. But I thought the thing that unified it for me all the way through was the was thematically. I think it worked. It hung together really, really well. And unexpectedly for me, I hadn't really anticipated it would be like this. 
So obviously it was very rough and rowdy ways heavy. Nine of the songs were from rough and rowdy ways. So he played the whole record apart from Murder Most Foul, as he has been doing on this tour. And one of the many things that holds rough and rowdy ways together is that kind of theme of what it means to be inspired, what it means to, to be creative, what it means to have a lifetime devoted to that that creative process yeah. in the sort of 20th century American milieu, I suppose. And yet you had that, but you also had, I thought the songs that were selected to go alongside rough and rowdy ways, for me, were almost represented in that framework. So obviously um, stuff like um, Every Grain of Sand, you could, you could really place in that sort of you know the, what's the root what, what's the root of inspiration you know you can, you can see you can interpret that song in that way but also even stuff like i'll be your baby tonight or tonight i'll be staying here with you i thought that was uh that that, that was kind of reframed in the same way i thought it really really hung together as a as a, as a, as a coherent theme throughout the whole set very very impressive yeah i mean it's a funny thing isn't it because a lot of those songs almost shouldn't work in that kind of live setting and as well as they did you know if you're talking about right what we're going to have is kind of lounge like arrangements and they're going to be a bit hypnotic they're going to be quite kind of tom drum heavy but they it, it really did and and also uh, bob dylan did come across like he was enjoying himself i mean there were a few interactions with the audience which i mean lest we forget he's not massively or in recent times been known for engaging and interacting a great deal with his audience but he really did at times this evening i thought he looked i mean okay so the guy's like 82 83 but i thought he looked a little bit frail at the end i mean he's of that age if you can play for an hour and a half and sing as well as he did and kind of sing with such conviction then I think you, you're obviously okay to, to look maybe a little bit haggard or a little bit worn <laughs> and weary and ragged around the edges and a little bit frail when it comes down to it. I think that um, I think that he perhaps the arthritis probably plays up the longer he plays, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, that's just speculation, but I mean, that didn't in any way detract from how good it was. No, uh, and the, just to uh, correct myself, it was uh, to be alone with you, not tonight. Obviously, any review that he, he played in the middle of the show. But you're right. Yes, it was actually very, very striking. I suppose that he did look so frail almost at the end. And you, you perhaps frail is the wrong word, but he did. He did look like he was an eighty year old man. Yes, I do, yeah, but, frail's frail's unfair because yeah. I mean I'm I'm not I mean who how many people of that age would be able to get up on stage exactly. and command people like that? In no yeah. way are we being critical here. It was just an observation that um he he looked like he'd exerted himself, I suppose. Yeah. Is, is, but I think what I was getting at was that that was so that was about so in, in counterpoint to the yeah. power of the performance that yeah. had gone before. That was what was so shocking about it. And I think we should probably have to mention his voice at this point, don't we? Yeah, um, I mean, goodness me, it was it was pretty special, wasn't it? I thought it was really surprisingly good. I think he got better after the first couple of songs. Not that the first couple of songs were in any way weak, but um, he really hit his stride from about song three, song four, and I just thought he was on absolutely fine form right the way through. I mean, it was really well sung, and again, I think we've mentioned this a few times previously that when Bob Dylan sings with conviction then it doesn't really matter what he's singing you believe him and it sounds great and 
I felt that it was completely uh, everything was with conviction this evening. So, so, so you know, in whichever luxurious hotel uh, Bob stayed. <laughs> I mean, I don't think he's staying in the future in Cardiff Bay. If we see him down in the bar, then. Uh, then obviously I'll say, you know, Bob, I thought you did all right tonight, so he can rest easy. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, we know he's waited on this podcast being released. Well, this is it. This is it. This, in many respects, is the arbiter of his uh, sort of, you know, taste that he takes into <laughs> consideration, I'm sure. Exactly. But yes, you're right. I thought he started well. I mean, it was great from the start, right? But there was a spell in the middle that was just out of this world. I think, for me, it was from my own version of you, um, all the way through to, to Key West. He was absolutely on it. And I think you could feel the the energy of the band rising as well to match it. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, we did briefly talk about this before we hit record, but I think Key West was probably, in many respects, the kind of centre point for me of the whole show. I think everything else kind of, you can almost measure it against that. Black Rider was very good as well. It sounded great, really spooky. And... Uh, it's not actually a song that I'm a, generally a massive fan of, but I thought that it kind of breathed new life into it this evening, really. Um, and oh, so, so that was very enjoyable. I agree with that, yeah. And for me, definitely, Key West was the absolute highlight. A, a magical performance, a really beautiful arrangement. That, I would say probably the centrepiece of Rough and Rowdy Ways as well, but this performance I preferred. I, thought I preferred the arrangement, and I thought his vocal was at least as good. What was I going to say? Yes, the, the, the other thing about Key West was that was the moment. Because it, it was a 5,000-seat venue, so there was a little bit of hubbub throughout the show. You know, we could hear... Yeah, you, you get that, don't you? You get yeah. that. But, but in Key West, pretty much from start to finish, you could hear a pin drop, couldn't you? Yes. And also throughout I'll Be Your Baby Tonight as well, in that really slowed down, almost... Uh, it was a really slowed down version, but there were a lot of, a lot of silences, a lot of space in the arrangement, wasn't there? And in that as well, you could really hear a pin drop. I thought that was where you, you just got this incredible sense of commanding the entire arena. Yeah, and actually, in terms of the arrangements, the dynamics were very impressive as well. And I think they really came to the fore on that song and indeed everything that followed it. There were just these glorious kind of raises and uh, and then lowerings of volume, which just worked incredibly well to kind of create this sense of drama, really. And I don't know if that was led by his voice, but he certainly rose to it, didn't he? I mean, the dynamics on his voice alone were, were incredible. Yeah, I think so. I mean, we, we talked about, on Hard Rain, the version of Idiot Wind and the fact that he kind of gets more into it and more excited and then his, his voice kind of adjusts accordingly. And I think that that was kind of happening on some of these songs, really. I mean, you can't help but get swept up by that, I think, if you're on stage. And so... Yeah, all very, very impressive stuff. The uh, the phone pouches worked as well. <laughs> we wondered how that would happen, but they uh, they worked very, very well. And the only sort of downside is that we didn't get any photos of either us or of Bob Dylan while the gig was going on. In fact, the only thing that I did get a photo of, this will be the photograph that accompanies this particular edition of the podcast. We think, or we at least hope, that the trucking company that the Bob Dylan band was using uh, this evening we, was parked across the parking lot from us. If not, then we're <laughs> going to do them under the Trade Descriptions Act because 
quite frankly, no trucking company's got any business going around with that kind of stuff emblazoned on the side of their uh, freight if they are not roadieing for Bob Dylan. But there we go. Absolutely. That's my rant over. <laughs> I think we've done very well to, to get through this with only that rant. Yeah, um, exactly, exactly. Yeah. But uh, we're in a good mood, aren't we? It, well, was, it yeah. was a great evening. It was really good. Really great show. And uh, thank you for joining us uh, and listening to this kind of brief edition of the podcast. Have you got anything else to add, mate? Or are we we're about done, I think, aren't we? No, I mean, I wish I was going on the road watching him for the rest of the tour now, to be honest. But yeah. uh, my wallet and my free time, neither of them stretch to that. So uh, it'll be back to the grind tomorrow. But I'm really glad we came. It's a fantastic experience. Yeah, and hopefully this will have given a little bit of a window um, into this current tour for those of you that might not necessarily make it to the shows on this time around we are very grateful uh, that you've joined us and we shall look forward to you joining us again hopefully for the uh, live at the Budokan uh, podcast which will be out in a few weeks time thank you for listening thank you